Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey guys, it's Ruben from Dub. This is Connection Loop, our podcast. And today we're talking to Kim. Kim has a really diverse story that I'd love to learn more about. She comes to us as a LinkedIn sales leader, and I'm particularly intrigued with that because a lot of what we do is enabling, empowering, guiding, teaching people to leverage video on LinkedIn specifically. Uh, In case you guys don't know, Dub has a LinkedIn extension where you can record videos directly from comments and sales navigator, recruiting, messaging one-to-one. People have seen a lot of success with that. But I'd love to get Kim's take on this. You've met Oprah. You've spoken at Inbound. You're an author. Talk to us, Kim. Yeah, I I mean, that's pretty much all of it. I I don't even think I need to give my bio anything more than that. I mean, I worked in sales for well over a decade. And somewhere around my career, I kind of had this realization. I'm like, oh, is this really what I want to do? Right? I saw my name on like the post-it note, I think, as like the HR people were moving it around. And I left. I sold my house. I traveled around the world for six months. And that became the new catalyst of everything I wanted to have in my life. I figured life is too short, so why not live the life? life you want to as opposed to the one that you will one day have. And with that, I kind of with sales, I think in general, you always look for the opportunities to say yes to. And sometimes when you're not really sure if yes is the right answer, say yes anyway, because something good will happen out of it. Got it. And how do the product, if it's a tech company, how do the product developers feel about that if something isn't yet built yet and someone is asking if that product (laughs) exists? Because I wear a couple of different hats. Number one is sales, so outreach, creating content. But then on the flip side for Dub, I'm heavily involved into the product. So our head of sales, what happens a lot of the times is that people ask, hey, do you have this integration? Can you make it? And the answer is yes. And then I have to go and within a two, <laughs> two week period, go make it. So, but I've actually accepted that challenge and pretty much every time I've been able to make it happen. So, you know, that's where some of the magic happens though. When you have those opportunities, I mean, for instance, I, I mean, we do sales training and we're constantly going and reiterating our program and the content that we've released. And this morning I was having a conversation with a woman and she goes, well, can we do a test where we pre-test? and then post-test people and see, you know, where their enhancements are. And I'm like, that's a great idea, right? And I think they were beside themselves that I wasn't either with a quick yes or a quick no, but I was like, I'm happy to include that. I'm like, I don't know if it'll be around for when you're ready to start. I said, but I love the idea and I'm happy to, to create that. And I think that majority of businesses really get started either through that collaboration or just the ability of let's see what will happen when we go down this path together. Got it. So there was a book that I didn't read in its entirety, but I had a chance to kind of understand. That's a famous thing. I think I I flipped through it. I looked for pictures. There was none. (laughs) I think I do a really good job about reading about books instead of actually reading the books. So there was this one book and I think it was called Listening Based Selling or Listening and Selling or something like this. And the whole idea was the importance of being a good listener in selling. And I think that's become more and more prevalent now because, you know, people have stories to tell and there's so many trials and tribulations, so many pain points that they suffer from, let's just say in in their careers, in their business dynamics, that they're looking for solutions. What are some of the, the tactics that you kind of right off the bat teach people in terms of sales and how to be a more effective salesperson? 
You know, simply, I tell people, if you get nothing else out of the program, I want you to start asking better questions. And by understanding what those questions are that we want to ask and what the intention is of getting the information, we can help our clients and we can create higher value solutions for them. And there's the old saying, if you don't like the answer, you should have asked a better question. And this is really what it's about. And I think that's why, you know, we have a lot of introverts that they love our program. We have a lot of analytical people that love our program because sales isn't about what we tell people. It's about process of uncovering all of that information, asking those higher value questions. And what does that mean? And how does that feel? And what would that allow your company to be when you achieve that? allows us to position ourselves as the catalyst of helping these companies to grow more effectively and efficiently, not just trying to put band-aids on problems and challenges. Got it. So this image that I see on your LinkedIn from Inbound, was that from this year? I think that might have been from last year. Oh, and what did you talk about at Inbound? We were at this last year's Inbound, so... Yes. Yeah. So I've I've spoken the last three years, actually. My first year, I spoke on the five minute phone call that makes you $100,000. The the second year, my topic was how to close your one-to-one conversations from your one-to-many leads, which has since been renamed uh, nine fatal errors sales market leaders don't make. And last year, I really wanted to touch on much more of the future side of it. And we talked about AI and sales, which will and can never be replaced by bots. Ooh, that's a really interesting kind of evolution of topics. And then how were those topics devised? Were you asked to come up with content around that or were those your topics? Those were my topics, actually. One of the things I love to do is, I mean, when I started my company, it started off just reiterating everything I knew as a salesperson. And after a few years, I got to a point where I wanted to spend more time doing research and curating content. And so for instance, with the AI and sales one, it's a topic that I found to be really interesting. And if I could sell the idea first, right, get somebody else to say yes to it, then I would end up spending a ton of time just doing all of the research and getting all the opinions of thought leaders. So it was really interesting because Inbound wanted it. And then ultimately what ended up happening in order to kind of, you know, kill two birds with one stone, I end up finding all these companies that were having impacts in different sales cycles. And I would interview them, right? CEOs and CFOs and vice presidents of these organizations and ask them their thoughts and where the trends were. And ultimately became a really good curation of all of these different ideas on where we were ultimately going to go and the future of sales. And so what does the future of sales look like? Should people be concerned about the evolution of it? You know, should we be intimidated of the technology? Should we be faster, better learners? What does it look like? Yeah. All of it. <laughs> so, so yes, we should be afraid. Right? <laughs> fear. But, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so much fear, right? Like, I want you guys to not even be able to sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. Like, so, yes, you should be afraid if you are a person that has been very much stuck in your ways. And one of the biggest common themes that came out of all the conversations I had with people was around the logic-based conversations that we're having with our clients, where it was, if you do this, then what can you do? And, you know, and how much do you have for a budget and who else is going to be a part of this decision? And those conversations that are very, if then can easily be taken by a bot because it goes down a very sequential flow. 
where as humans, as business owners, as, you know, growing salespeople, what we need to embrace even more so in that B2B environment is empathy skills, compassion and collaboration and creativity. And this has always been a thing that we've been focusing on. You could see where your top reps will usually have that, but sometimes we're not measuring that. And now we're getting to a point where we are measuring it and we are watching for it because regardless of sales, anything that takes just logic based, right? Doctors reading x-rays, lawyers reading old cases, you know, and truck drivers, right? A bot can take over that. And so we need to embrace our more humanness to allow ourselves to get there. And if we really want to take it another step further is if we're not doing that, but there will be a point where the bots will take that over too. But that gets into the, the woo-woos. <laughs> well, that makes sense. I mean, at first we started to do a little bit of research on how we could leverage artificial intelligence, how we could leverage, you know, chat bots. Where we kind of landed on as a company, Dub, is that we use Intercom. So one of the tools that we really like of theirs is the answer bot. So if you go to the dub.com homepage right now, it actually interviews you. It asks you, what is your goal? What are the things that you want to accomplish? And then based on that, it algorithmically gives you some information. It gives you some links. It gives you some videos, some training. And kind of depending on your psychology, where you are in the funnel, it can kind of deliver something to you guys. And what's interesting about that is that if the person is interested, engaged, they want to actually connect with someone on a one-to-one -one basis, then we actually convert them into, let's just really get into the human conversation. So then they get yeah. shifted to uh, someone in support and then they could actually book a call, you know, right from the chatbot. So all of that generates us, you know, dozens and dozens of leads and signups and subscribers on a daily basis. So I agree with you. The potential is tremendous there. And it actually, it doesn't compete with any of our sales effort. It actually bolsters it. Yes. And it should, right? I mean, like that, like that's the intention of it is that we should tap into, you know, some of the emotional charge. One of the things that people were saying was, you know, until I get to a point, how do I include more empathy into my chatbot? And I said, you know, if somebody's on your website and you ask them through that sequencing of questions, like what brought you here? And, you know, they say, well, you know, we're using a current provider that just isn't working for us anymore. I'm like, how simple is it to include within there? That sounds frustrating. Right. And then the, the pause, the dot, dot, dot. Right. How would you like, you know, a dub to work with you on a go forward basis? Right. By articulating the, the emotional state that someone may or may not be feeling actually helps to bring it out and get them to be better open with the communication and where they want to go on their own journey. I mean, even Alexa, I've noticed the engineers and the product developers behind Alexa, I think they've incorporated a lot of compassion, self-deprecation, a lot of humor. I mean, Alexa now realizes that her jokes are very corny. Yeah. <laughs> so I, Alexa's right in front of me beeping, so I'm just going to mute her. Sorry, Alexa. <laughs> Keep her in the dark there as I insult her. But, you know, she realizes that, you know, her voice, her personality has kind of leaned in and taken on that persona of, I know my jokes are corny. And actually, Jimmy Fallon is actually the, the secondary comic that I think delivers some of the jokes. And when I hear her and I hear some of that rhetoric, I laugh at it. I trust it a little bit more. I trust the technology more. It delights me a little bit more. I think the same thing applies to, in this case, the conversational marketing. Yeah, it's huge, right? And I mean, I know the research is showing us that, you know, we already have automation bias. Like we already as humans believe that, you know, our Alexa, that our series, everything else like that is going to give us the most accurate information. And, and as human nature, we actually will be more 
open and honest and transparent with them because we don't have that veiled, they're going to judge me the same as we do with a doctor or a lawyer or a sales rep. And, um, and so we need to embrace knowing if that's where human nature is, how do you use, you know, conversational marketing bots in order to gain as much information from your client first and then take it that step further. Well, I think what I love about this model is that it streamlines a lot of the communication so that you can spend more time in the people that are bottom of funnel, more engaged, more interested, and just provide better customer service. You know, people like to self-educate. I like to self-educate. I like to go through a website, read about it, watch a video, get the trainings. And then once I'm ready, then I like to reach out. If, if I find that someone is on my case and tailing me and kind of trolling me on, on LinkedIn or, or Facebook or something, I say, hey, time out. I want to do my own research. Don't sort of yeah. cross that line just yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You know, so use it for what you can. And here's one for you. I mean, how much has the role of the salesperson changed in the last, let's just say, five years? I mean, what are some specific things that you've noticed? Well, I mean, I think in general, very like tenured salespeople haven't changed. And maybe that's what the problem is, is that, you know, when you're good at sales, you just assume that you'll always be good at sales. We specialize in, in teaching sales to your traditional non-sales people uh, because, number one, I like to work with people that are completely open to the conversation. This is something brand new to them. Um, it's actually really difficult to teach sales to salespeople. <laughs> because <laughs> they're already experts in that field. But that being said, right, I mean, you know, a lot of companies, even with traditional sales teams will come to us because they want to have that formalized process. They want to know, you know, where do we take it all the way through? We see better salespeople really take over is in that embrace of that empathetic conversation and emotional intelligence, especially in the business to business setting. It was easy for car dealers and real estate agents to ask somebody, you know, and how does it feel? How would it feel to walk through your dream home? How does, you know, how does this new car smell and how does that make you feel? And when we're in a business to business setting, selling IT services to a energy firm, right? You know, you don't necessarily want to ask somebody, you know, how does it feel to have faster internet and, you know, reliable computers? But it's important. And the reason why it's so important is because it taps to an unconscious that we're not typically used to answering. It takes a shorter period of time to go, or sorry, shorter period of time to go from our head to our mouths than it does to go from our heart to our mouths. But that's where all the truth and honesty needs to be. And when you ask more questions of your clients, you know, everything from how are you going to measure the success of this, ultimately getting them to tell you the return on investment, you know, how would you like us to work together? How will this relationship help you to grow? would evolve. This puts us in much more of a team effort, that collaboration, as opposed to that adversarial old school us versus them, right? Two sides of the table fighting for the same pen. Mm, yeah. Well, I think it's uh, maybe a scarcity-based mindset, which is really kind of getting extinct to a certain extent. And now it's an abundance mindset where people are realizing that, you know, it's a win-win and that there's synergy and there's collaboration and that there's enough sunshine to go around, really. Yeah, I mean, there has to be, right? I mean, the unfortunate reality is, I mean, still to this day, there's so many, you know, misconceptions about what sales is. And I mean, we're having, you know, university graduates come through and they're still imagining the salesperson being the Glengarry Glen Ross, right? You know, ABC, always be closing, right? And, you know, or I remember growing up in the movie that I watched was Boiler Room at the time, right? Where it was, you know, you, do, you did whatever it took to like make the sale. And we're not there anymore. Like, it's just, I mean, 
you might win in the short term, but the long term you will always lose. And so, you know, it's up to you. Are you here for the short term gain or are you here for the longevity? And hopefully you're here for the longevity. And so that means you have to treat others the way you want to be treated. So in your old life, were you ever that Vin Diesel, that Ben Affleck character, you know, the ABC, <laughs> the, the hardcore closer? Were, were you ever that person? Um, I could be. Right. And even to this day, like every now and then, like when I get kind of tired of somebody, right, I will turn on like the heat. Right. And I'm like, I can aggressively close somebody. Do I want to? No. I mean, that's not fun for anybody. And so I do have to make sure that I check that out because, you know, at some point, you know, you have to, the way I like to enter into the relationships is asking myself, do I want to have this person as a partner? Right. Do I believe that, you know, they're going to be open and honest and transparent with me? And if they call me, six months from today, will I be overwhelmingly happy to receive their call? And if the answer is no, despite how nice it is to get the quick deal, sometimes you have to walk away because it's not the best place that you want to be. Let them deal with somebody else, right? And, and avoid, you know, what we call like the winner's curse, right? You finally win the business and then you curse every day that you have to deal with that client because you're like, oh, I sold myself out. And yeah, so I mean, you know, I can be aggressive, but I don't want to be. So you bring up a really good point. So how can we get ourselves? It sounds like a luxury to get to the point where you can actually turn down clients, turn down prospects and say, you know what? This doesn't fit within my larger purpose or vision or path. You know, and I agree with you. I think that that's the right path. I think that everything needs to be long term focused. It's about a partnership. It's not about closing a deal. It's about long play. Right. Yeah. So what are some methods that you can recommend to people to get themselves into that abundance based mindset where they aren't necessarily concerned about getting another close or finding that partner or having to invest another one to two months to find that match? Yeah, it is tough, right? I mean, you know, I think we've all been there as business owners, as sales reps, right? Where, you know, the revenue today is sometimes the most important thing that we need. At the end of the day, I mean, I take a look at this and, you know, when we take a step back and you ask yourself, you know, would I want to work with this person? every single day. I mean, this is no different than personal relationships. And I think this is where a lot of people get confused is they somehow think that a business relationship is vastly different than a personal relationship, but it's not right. I mean, you know, you don't go on the first date with somebody only to think that that was an amazing date because they spent the entire time talking about how great they were and all the people they dated in the past. Right. I mean, you know, and yet we as sellers will sometimes do that. We go into our first meetings telling all about ourselves and not even caring about the other person. And, you know, and then as you kind of go forward on this, I mean, it's not about getting the contract done. It's do I truly believe that number one, I'm going to help this person, right? And are they going to be standing on the mountaintop singing my praises? And if they're not, you know, or you don't really believe that, then yes, I mean, we have to walk away. And almost every single time where my gut has told me that I should have, and I chose to go with the short term, right, the quick uh, revenue or something else before it, it has come and bit me in the butt. Because I wish that I would have, because I'm either chasing the client for payments, right? You know, I honor my word and they didn't honor them. They end up taking up too much time, too much energy all the way through that it doesn't even become a win. Or, you know, I have served them so completely, yet they're still never happy. And, you know, and I think we need to, you know, it's hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not like I can't say just one thing. It's going to make you think that way. But always look at it as would I feel honored and graced to have this person in my life, to have this client in my life, you know, six months, two years from now? 
And if we don't feel like we're in that position, you know, call it what it is. And as hard as it is, it will be better off in the long run. Great. So my question to you then is when someone is in the process of seeking a vendor, if let's say that they're looking for someone to assist them with their B2B sales strategy and they're doing that kind of due diligence process, what are some methods that they can employ to find the right vendor, the right partner? Sorry. And the question is if they're going out and finding that service. Yeah. How can someone do their research to find a partner to assist them with their B2B sales strategy, like what your firm does? Oh, okay. I think the first thing to take a look at is, I mean, there's a few things that I look at, right? Is, you know, what do you value or how do you want your clients to talk about you? And, you know, and for most people, I mean, they want to be considered a, you know, high value service provider as somebody that is going to, to help and assist. So, you know, find out like, you know, are we spending more time figuring out scripts or are we focusing on the fundamentals, you know, the questions, the, the ways that our clients are going to feel after they interact with us? The other thing I like to look at is the process as simple as possible and no simpler which I'm a huge believer in, right? You know, I remember working in my days at Xerox and having a 12-step sales process. And I had no idea, like as a salesperson, like where I should be. And it felt very arbitrary. So one of the reasons why we aligned ours as six is because we're like, here's where the buyer is in their decision-making. Here's where you are. And they should ultimately match all the way through. And if we're not considering where the buyer is throughout the entire process, we're essentially giving somebody couples counseling, but only requiring one person to be a part of that couple, right? So we need to understand, you know, what are both parties ultimately going through? The last thing I like to look at is the sales training a one hit wonder, or is it going to be part of, you know, a long-term play? Because education is not the same as application. And are you wanting to just educate your team or do you want them to apply it? Do you want them to be habit transforming? And do you want to see continuous growth beyond the days that the actual training just took part of? Those were some of the things that we decided that we were going to disrupt when we created our company. And I'm, I'm so glad we did because it allows us to be now like one of the fastest growing sales training programs. That's incredible. My question for you is what if people are not ready to adopt a new method? What if they're kind of stuck in their own ways? This could be a client. They know that they need to transform. They know they need to evolve. But when it comes down to it, they really struggle to get over that hurdle. And then the second part of the question is what if the people on their team, some other potentially some of the folks on the team, not all of them struggle from the same thing, which is adoption of new strategies. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're in a situation where you're like, I know I need to change, but I struggle to change. Right. I mean, you know, where will you be? Number one, if you don't change. Right. You know, I mean, this is, you know, your standard, like, you know, cost current state versus ideal state. If nothing changes, I mean, nothing changes. And if six months, nothing changes, where will you be? And are you happy with that? And if the answer is no, like I got to get, I need to be at a point where something is changed. Okay, great. If something changes, even something small changes, right? Where will that allow you to be in six months time? How much greater will you be? I mean, this is, I mean, these are the same types of questions we ask our clients when we're in a sales cycle, right? Is like when you're working with us, when you've adopted better questioning techniques, when you know exactly where you are in a sales cycle and you're able to close these deals faster, how will that impact your business, your cash flow, your growth of your company? 
And then ultimately you can get there. Beyond that, I mean, you know, is there really anything more you can do? If someone really wants to lose 50 pounds and yet they are like, well, I really don't want to eat any differently and I really don't want to work out. It's like, well, then if it's not bothering you enough, then you just got to live with it. Like you could tell me that it bothers you, but if you're not, if it doesn't motivate you enough to like want to take action or do anything about it, there's literally nothing I can do for you. And so one of the things that we are always looking for, like one of our things is like, you know, how quickly do you want to see the impact of this? Right. And what will that impact look like? And how will we measure the success of this? And if a client can't articulate to me how we will determine this will be successful, right? How do they expect me to tell them? Right. I mean, everybody's unique and different. And I need somebody to tell me I want to see faster closes. I want to see higher revenue. I want to see deals that are, you know, better predicted. We want better outlooking from our reps. Fantastic. Let's measure it. And if you're like, well, I don't know, I just want to be better, it's like, you know, like shrug emoji, right? Like, okay. Like, what, <laughs> what does that mean? I love that. Okay. So let's talk data a little bit. Previously in the conversation, you mentioned that there's a couple of metrics that we're now able to track empathy, yeah. creativity, compassion, overall, the emotional intelligence, EQ. As data people, how can we do a better job within our CRMs, our overall workflows? How can we kind of gauge some of the newer, more evolved metrics on communication, trust building, and selling? Yeah. So, I mean, you could definitely take a look at like, you know, any type of like EQ strategy, right? I mean, you know, IQ and EQ, right? I mean, they'll give you some type of metric all the way through. I'm a numbers person, right? And I like to actually watch like, you know, what, how it has this impacted and, you know, correlation does not mean the same as, as causation, but when you see something along the lines of, you know, if we're going to ask our clients questions like, you know, how does that make you feel? You know, how will that impact your business? How will that allow you to grow? And if we're consistently asking these questions and we can see a trend that these deals are now ha- like closing faster, that we're getting, you know, more involved in decision makers, um, that we can now go ahead and move these deals faster. I mean, those are good metrics to to watch for, right? And I mean, everybody wants more revenue, right? That's the main reason why people actually will take sales training. Well, we just want more revenue. And it's like, okay, well, great. Let's actually not just say more, but how much more, what percentage, what dollar, what everything else. And then how fast do you want your deals to close? Because when we emotionally tap into somebody and the reasons why they want to make a decision and how that will impact the greater purpose of what they're doing, that's when things start to happen really quickly, right? I remember struggling, like working for Xerox, trying to sell $40,000 copiers. And now that I've done all this research and I've involved in, you know, sale, like empathetic uh, conversations and questioning techniques, I mean, I don't struggle closing those types of deals anymore. I mean, those are 30-day deals now, right? What what changed, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm more passionate because I'm selling my own company versus somebody else. But there's an argument to say that it's actually harder to sell your own company than it is to sell somebody else's. What I truly believe in is when I understand the reasons why somebody wants to make that, how that will make them feel, how it will impact them. I'm not going to discount that. And in your book, do you talk about a lot of these themes here? Oh, absolutely. Sell more faster. Absolutely. And the entire sales process just broken down. I mean, we spent a ton of time creating the program. And then I went through it and I said, you know what? If somebody couldn't access the program, what would I want them to know about all of it? And I gave it the very best of everything from, you know, some stories that I use when I speak on stage to help make the, the points really concrete and be able to be much more tangible all the way through, you know, what are some of the questions that you need to ask? I'm not going in theoretical here. I'm like, here's how you actually do it. Here's how you can implement it. I wanted it to be something that if somebody picked up that 
book and read it all the way through, they could still consider themselves to be a student of our program without having to have that formal relationship. And can you kind of give us a, a just a taste or a teaser on framework or some of the, the overall sort of mantras? Yeah. So, I mean, it starts, it, I start at the very beginning, right? So, you know, a fish where there are fish, right? You know, find out where your ideal clients are. Who are they? What do they look like? And make sure you're setting out lobster traps, not entire ocean nets, right? If you want lobster, you set out a tiny trap. You don't go ahead and set out a lobster trap and then find them. Part of the sales strategy is about going for that outbound approach, right? articulating who you want to work with. What does that look like? What are their fears, their challenges, their goals, their ambitions? I mean, we should be in the process of helping our clients to achieve more, right? To, to achieve a greater life all the way through. Um, you know, how do you lead qualify them? So when, you know, how do you make that phone call? And then when you make that phone call to get the meeting and you're sitting in front of them the very first time, what are the questions you need to find out from them in order to say, this is somebody that I would work with. This would be a perfect fit for me, right? Oftentimes we think we're going to lead qualify for somebody by telling them everything about ourselves and then saying, well, they know, they know where we stand, you know, and we're continuing on the process and we need to take a step back and be like, do I want to continue down this process with this client? And then creating more questions. How do you actively listen? How do you create more valuable questions? How do you ensure that you're including that emotional intelligence in a way that doesn't seem weird, right? But rather, you know, very natural, very genuinely curious um, all the way through. What does a formal proposal look like when you're delivering a formal proposal to somebody because you're delivering a 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 plus service? I mean, this is a formalized proposal process. And what does that process have to include? And what's the story that you tell and how is that delivered uh, to finally, you know, cross-selling and upselling and ensuring that you're continuously planting those seeds so that the harvest is ever abundant. And where can people find Sell More Faster? Anywhere you can find online books. Amazon is, is probably the most common. Got it. And then what was your process on getting the book published, getting it distributed, getting it out there in the world? Yeah, so I used a hybrid publisher this time around. It's not technically self-published, but it is a publisher that does their own publishing. In hindsight, I wish I would have done like a massive campaign and everything for it, but I was just so proud of it. And uh, and plus, we're already working on some really big, big projects, which I know we will is everything such as a web series so that you can actually follow some of our students that are currently going through our 10 week online program. We're following them with a camera crew and you get to stand behind the scenes and watch what it's like to see a company just like yours go through learning a sales process and how does that impact you and how do those client conversations evolve? One of the tricks that um, actually a woman by the name of uh, Gina Shrek actually taught me was that when you have a book, you can find sponsors. So if you have a speaking opportunity, potentially there's a sponsor that could say, hey, we want everyone at the show or in the audience to have a copy of your book and we're going to front the bill. Here's an order for 2,000 units. Yeah. <laughs> I do that on occasion. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And um, and even with our own events, like we're going to be hosting a giant event on uh, November 26th. Everybody that orders an early bird ticket automatically gets the book ahead of the actual event because we want you to learn as much as possible possible in order to be better, better suited to have the bigger conversations. Okay. And what's the URL for that? Where can people find that? Oh, if they go to, to my website, kimorleski.com, there is an events page and it will give you information on all of our upcoming events, including webinars, as well as connection event. Okay, cool. And then what we'll do is we'll put a link in the show notes uh, for this as well. So well, thank you very much. I appreciate yeah, it. Of course, of course. In your tagline for your firm, it says results guaranteed. I love that. 
it's Thank all you. about results. That's a bold move. How do you quantify that? How did you package that up? Yes, honestly, I was so scared to do that when I had originally done it. I had just finished reading Vern Harnish's Scaling Up. And one of the things they said was, what was the guarantee that you're going to provide your clients? And sales trainers would never, like, we just, we don't provide results because it's not up to us. It's about to the client. It's up to how much they're going to impact it and da, 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 da. And so one of the things I thought is like, what if we did? Like, what would that look like? And because we deliver our program um, every week over the course of 10 weeks, you know, with an instructor, we can see the progress all the way through, right? We're getting their homework assignments. We're watching them do the role plays. And so if they have given us the commitment to be with us on this journey for 10 weeks, we should in turn commit to them that as long as they follow that entire process and they're doing the work and they're calling their clients, they should be able to close those deals. So we did put that in there. It is in our paperwork, actually. And what it essentially says is in the event that you don't get the results that you, you like you don't get the dollars back that you put out um, into the program, number one, my three-month fee to work with me on a one-on-one basis is completely waived. And now I will work with you for three months. But if I still can't help you, we'll actually triple your money back. So I didn't want to just do like a money back guarantee or something ridiculous, like a million dollars guaranteed. I wanted it to be something that when I told my team what we were doing, I wanted them to understand the hubris of it, right? The weight of this, because this meant that we were fully committed to the process and we are fully committed to our clients all over some time. And, um, and it has been an amazing thing because number one, I mean, you know, the, only the clients that really are determined to get the results are going to be a part of our program. And number two, you know, we know that we're going to help them all the way through this. And if we can't, we actually don't even accept them into the program, which is part of that abundance mindset is, you know what, maybe there's something else that, that you can help out with, but here's kind of the criteria that we're looking for. And we know we can help you. And if you can, great. And we've never, we've never had to deliver on that. Uh, we would if we ever had to, but every single student has gotten the results. Well, I mean, isn't it funny when you, if you go into something saying we're going to guarantee results, it's amazing how you get the results, you know, yeah. it's the reverse engineering of the goal. And, and that's a beautiful thing. So, and that's the thing is like right from week one, we have told our students what they need to do for themselves right? You know, they come back to us, their very first homework assignment, they tell us, they're like, this is how many phone calls I'm going to make. This is how many prospects I'm going to connect with. This is how many meetings I'm going to do every month. And, you know, and so right from week one, they have now told us what they're committed to. And if they don't hold on to that commitment, I mean, number one, it's like, okay, what do you need to do, right? Like, you know, what, what needs to happen to make this shift? And if they do it, I mean, every single time, I mean, we have students that will come back to us like by week four, week six of a 10 week program and be like, I'm like, I've already quadrupled my income. Like this has been like beyond anything. Like had I known that this existed, I mean, the only regret they ever tell me that they had was that they should have done it as their first thing of starting mm. their business. Not one of the things that they did in weeks six, seven, 10 months you know, two years later, um, they're like, you know, this was the only thing that I can really attribute to actually making revenue for my company. And so, you know, and part of that is, I mean, we give them a lifetime access to all the content as well. And we want them to go back and reiterate it and use it. And I'm like, share your login. Like, I don't care, right? I want as many people to have this information as possible. And if you get to a point where, you know, thankfully, because of what we taught you, you're now at a point where you can hire employees, give them your login information, make them go through it. Because if it works, for you and it works for them you're going to come back to us when it comes time to now hire like train your entire team so how do you get people's attention how do you prospect how do you create content to put your stories out to get leads essentially to get 
the dialogue started to get your brand out there. What is your strategy? Do you spend money in advertising? Is it networking? Yeah, you know what? Funny enough, not yet, right? It's on our game plan. I mean, we're we're still a relatively young company. We're not even quite two years old, and yet here we are at seven employees. And we have really, like, virtually spent zero dollars on online advertising. We are like the school of hard knocks and the rubber hits the road type of thing, right? To grassroots. I spend a lot of my efforts you know, speaking at events, right? Asking every single group, you know, entrepreneurial group, small business group, um, association, like, do you guys want to learn how to sell better? Applying to places like Inbound and giving all that information. I, I do as many webinars as I possibly can, not even just for us. I ask other companies that are offering webinars or podcasts or anything, like, you know, can I be on your show? That becomes a whole sales cycle all in its own, right? And people don't understand that. But I look at that as an approach to create that. And when I first started out, and I'm now starting to, to get to a point where I'm, I'm moving away from that. But it was, I would go and I speak on stage. And then at the end of it, I would like literally provide my cell phone number and I'm like, text me and I will give you a free 20 minute sales strategy session. And we can go through all of this. And I built my entire business that way. And so it's worked and we, we've continued to, to reiterate it. And now we're at a point where I have my third sales trainer and I'm bringing on another salesperson, but we're not going to steer away from that because I think people want to know that there's always someone there to help guide them through this process and that, you know, we're here as a tribe and we're here to, to help create this with you and help you as much as possible. Our number one value in our company is a Zig Ziglar quote, which is you can have everything you want in life when you help enough people get what they want. Yes. And we've positioned ourselves as that premium tier. So we don't need a lot of clients. We need a quality handful of clients. And with everyone else that can't bring themselves to affording our services yet, that means that we get to support everyone else. And when they get to a point, I mean, I'm okay being the company that everyone wants and very few can afford, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that puts me in a position where, you know, we are creating like these massive lunch and learn tries, right? Where now we get like 75 people show up every single lunch for $17 to get free lunch and hear what we have for content. Because I mean, that's one aspect of it. It's definitely not a moneymaker for us. The moneymaker is out of that, how many people end up actually joining the program, which is turning to be like massive amounts now, right? And we're now getting into like, we're pushing it almost to the thousands of students that we've run through our program. Well, I connect to that because Dub obviously is in the game to help people, to enable people in their sales process, in their communication process. You know, we have over 13,000 users now. And I think what motivates me the most at the end of the day is that I'm helping people communicate with video. And I see the accomplishments, like we're starting to build case studies. And that that's probably been the most difficult type of content for us to create because you have to ask a lot and you have to get, you know, get the data points and you yeah. have to, it's a little bit challenging, but when you do get that case study, it's tremendous. So as we started asking the right questions and asking folks, Hey, listen, how are you getting success using our technology, sending video on email videos on LinkedIn through the CRM, etc. People actually gave us some stories, you know, Hey, I closed a $40,000 deal because of sending a dub video on an email. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's build, <laughs> let's build a case study in that and let's publish it. And all of a sudden, you know, in our minds, we might have thought that someone is shy, you know, they don't want to share this. It's a secret weapon, but actually they love the press. They love the exposure yeah. because it makes them look like a thought leader. And because they are they're you know, anything in video or social or LinkedIn, it's very embryonic. So it puts them kind of ahead of the game because they're an early adopter. We always, I mean, you know, it's been a little while, right? We're, we're kind of doing some, some reiterations of, of some of our marketing process and everything. But we 
ask people early on to do a video testimonial with us after the end of our sales program. And we actually, we start asking them while they're in the program uh, because we're dropping those hints. And by the time they get to the end and we've recorded this video and we post it, I mean, and we let them know we're going to tag you and everything. Like they love it. They love it. Right. And I was talking with a group and he told me that he actually, and it was some of our corporate clients. Actually, I do this too. I actually put it right in my, in my T's and C's, you know, you will be providing us with a video testimonial at the end. And he took it one step further, you know, with very legalese. And he goes for him, that was a barrier to, to entry to work with him. He's like, because if somebody argued on that point, he goes, I didn't want to work with them anymore because they should be proud of the work that we've done with them and they should want to share that. And if a client didn't want to share that information, he knew that wasn't a client that would ever want to, to be a partner with him for a long term. They were just looking for a quick fix or to try it out. And he's like, I'm not in the business to be someone's guinea pig, right? I'm in the business to really be in the trenches and help you out. And when we've achieved this, I want you to be on the mountaintops singing my praises. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that's, it's not an unfair ask, right? It's, it's something that I think more of us should feel excited to be number one, asked to do. And number two, be honored to ask our clients to be able to do that for us. Well, that, that's a great qualifier on finding someone that's committed, that is ready to be transparent, maybe not suffering from hubris or ego to the point where they don't want to show that they have partners and of people that are helping them behind the scenes, that they're sort of doing everything. And I think that's, that's just a recipe for failure if you have that. Yeah, right? absolutely. So you met Oprah. I did. <laughs> How did you meet Oprah? She happened to be in the city and I had worked some magic and uh, I got my uh, literal, I think, 10 seconds with her because Oprah's the queen, right? And it was one of those opportunities. And they said, listen, like, you know, they, they got this small group of people and they said, you know, if you're going to be meeting her, they're like, here's what it is. They're like, you're not allowed to like ask her anything. You're not allowed to give her anything. Like you go and you, you meet her and then that is it. Like you get one photo and that is it. So be prepared. And I knew I was going to meet her and I agonized over... I'm like, if you get one opportunity to meet somebody who is probably one of the closest in the world to like know everything, right? Or at least like, like have asked so many people so many different questions. Like, what would you ask Oprah? Like, if you ask Oprah, like, what would you ask her? And it's such a tough question. Are you happy? <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe. Like, who knows? Right. Like, and, and I like and I agonized over this and I thought to myself, I'm like, I probably have like, you know, five words or less. Right. And like, you know, what would I ask her if I could ask her anything? And um, and I end up asking her, you know, what do you need? And it was the only one that I could really come out with because number one, I'm like, I didn't know if she needed anything. And maybe, you know, maybe that is like, you know, the ultimate definition of happiness. Maybe she needs a bag of Skittles and I would do everything I could to go find her a bag of Skittles right in that moment. <laughs> right. Because I also figured that so many people ask Oprah to do something for them that I don't think a lot of people ask to do something for her. And I don't know, I mean, whether it was right or whether it is wrong. It was one of those questions that I've always asked my clients, right? What do you need right now? Or what, what can I help you with? And I didn't think that that should change my personality based on who I was meeting with. When you go in with that kind of value oriented mindset where you want to provide value, you want to provide help, irrespective of who that person is, I think it really puts you in a really good long-term sustainable position because then they see you as someone that's a giver and not a taker. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, right? Whether hopefully. I need Oprah again or not, I mean, is irrelevant. But, um, but the picture was worth every moment. <laughs> there it is. 
Uh, and speaking of pictures, I noticed on your LinkedIn account that you have this as one of your work experiences, which is world traveler. <laughs> and I applaud you for that because I have noticed that a lot of people actually don't include stuff like that on their resume. Oh, well, thank and, you. Yeah, and I think it takes a little bit of guts because I think a lot of people don't want to show people that they've done that, especially if they've been out of work or if they're looking for a new gig. The last thing that they want to show is, hey, I'm the type of person that's going to bail. I'm going to go, I'm going to go travel the world for seven months and you know, climb mountains and stuff and, and ride ostriches. But you didn't do that. <laughs> and, and I think when I read that about you, I said, this person has world experience. This person has gone through struggle, trials, tribulations. They might have lost a passport, lost a backpack, you know, got held up. Who knows what the story is and that they endured from that. And now they have yeah. that positive experience. I front loaded my retirement. I spent a good portion of my 20s traveling some of the same places that you've been to scuba yeah. diver and, and hiker and climber and stuff like this. So talk to me about that experience. What was a catalyst point for that? Give us some of your best stories on your travel experience. Oh my goodness. It was one of those moments where I had just, you know, hit my thirties. I think I was like 31 or something. And I was just like, nothing in my life was just working out anymore. And I got to this point where I decided, I'm like, like, why? What am I working so hard for? And exact same type of idea where I was like, why am I waiting forever to retire? Like if I really wanted to, I could retire right now. And not like in retirement in the sense, but like, you know, I mean, we wait until we are in our 50s and 60s to, to finally spend all that time to travel. And, you know, we don't know, there's no guarantees in life if we'll even be alive then or if we'll be in the health to do all that. So I thought, you know what, let's go. And so there was a breakup, right? I had a very eat, pray, love-esque type of thing, but I sold my house and I packaged up, you know, what I didn't sell into a storage unit and I grabbed a backpack and I took off. And out of that, I mean, amazingness, like I was, I came from a personality type where, I mean, I still am, you know, fairly type A, but I got, came from a point where I was so spreadsheet in my life. I knew exactly where everything had to be at all given times. And I had to learn to just, go with the flow, be much more fluid with the opportunities and as things came and be much more present and aware of, of what had happened. Because I found that when I was trying to force decisions or, you know, pre-planning too far in the future was when I actually missed out on some of the biggest moments and some of my favorite moments, riding ostriches, right? I mean, you know, I was like, well, you know, might as well do this. Um, racing sand dunes through like, you know, the, um, just outside of Dubai, which was like so amazing scuba diving, the great barrier reef, uh, you know, tobogging down the great wall of China, I guess the great wall of China, they have a toboggan, right? You can take a toboggan all the way down you know, kissing a giraffe in um, the Mazai Mari. Cool. <laughs> the, the giant, like, black tongue and everything. Although, <laughs> you to put a little pellet in your teeth, right? And then he comes and he grabs it. Um, I mean, that was what it was all about. And coming back from that, I look back on it and I thought, you know what? At the end of the day, that's what life is. And that's what we're really living to have, is to have these um, unbelievable experiences. And if you can't look at it and think about do I impact somebody? Do I make them smile? Do I make them laugh? Do I leave a ripple far beyond anything? That's really what it's about, right? And I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to believe that, you know, conversations and people I met still stay with them as much as they've stayed with me. And I remember, you know, it was more so I remember conversations and people I met throughout that entire journey that was literally a 10 minute conversation and it still has impacted me to this day. 
So if we can't go and travel the world for seven months, what are some of the things that we can do right now being in our same zones, you know, with our families and kids? And what are, what are some sort of ways that we can get that altitude, that perspective that you were able to accomplish and achieve? Yeah. You know, it, it sounds so simple. Put that phone away. Right. I mean, you know, Ooh. give yourself a day where, you know, I mean, for me, it's like Sundays and I've fallen off of it from time to time, but I always go back and, and hit the restart button where Sunday is I put on my charger and then I just leave it there for the whole day. And it, it will sometimes drive my husband nuts. But I'm like, if I go to the store, I'm like, I don't have my cell phone. Like you have no ways of getting in touch with me. But then I become much more aware and present of the sights and the sounds and the conversations I have with my son. Right. I'm not constantly like checking the time or checking. There's literally nowhere you need to be. Right. And yet somehow we get so caught up in, in reading the news and, you know, refreshing Twitter. Like none of it's important. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be it, right? I mean, and start with something like small, like say, you know, if it's an hour or, you know, three hours a day. For me, I mean, I, my goal is to do a full day, like every Sunday. And the moment that I put that phone on that charger on Saturday night until the moment I, you know, just double check it at the evening, nobody's going to die because I didn't pick up the phone. That's words to the wise. I mean, I think a lot of it is just being present. I noticed in your description of travel, you know, you meditated a little bit with the Buddhist monks. And that's important. And I think that, you know, meditation is a really important part of our process as human beings right now to introspect and to make sense of all the noise and all the craziness that's happening around us. And I think it's just overall really good for mental health. I mean, what are some of the things that you do to keep besides shutting your phone off? On Sundays, which I applaud you for, what are some things that you kind of do to keep yourself sharp and balanced and calm? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I meditate as much as I can. I'm not as big in the habit as I was when I was traveling, but I try to, to keep myself from time to time. I read nonfiction from time to time. And I think that's really important, right? Because I do read a lot of business books. But every now and then, I love to get embraced with a good nonfiction book because it's when you are emotionally tied into what it's like to be in the shoes of someone else, that's a good skill to have in real life. You know, and for, you know, 300, 600, 1,000 pages, I mean, I am feeling the same things that these characters are feeling. And I'm imagining what it's like to stand in the shoes of someone else. And when I leave that world for for a short period of time and I come back into the real life, I remember what it was like to be able to instantaneously be in someone else's world. And when I'm in business, if I can do that, you know, with a book, why couldn't I do that in, in a conversation with someone? Love it. Well, Kim, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, this was a tremendous experience. I definitely have some very specific sales takeaways. You know, as we are a startup, Dove is a company that's growing and we have a sales process and there's some specific things that, you know, I was able to take away from this convo that I think you touch upon in your book, Sell More Faster, available on Amazon and all places that you can find books. And I want to employ some of those on our growth trajectory. Well, thank you so much. And I got to say, I love your hair. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. It's volume <laughs> defying. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I have to keep the camera a little bit higher because I need all this room. Yeah, for... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Kim. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Talk to you soon.